Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the evil, the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back again, nor do they regain the path of life. So you will walk in a way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and thank you for your word, which is true, your word, which sanctifies us and pray that you would Indeed, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively would be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our short series in the Proverbs in search of wisdom. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to first believe in him. You cannot fear someone unless you believe that they are. And believe that they are the ones to hold you accountable, that they have authority over you in some way, that they're greater and more powerful than you. Solomon says it this way at the end of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments because he will bring all things into judgment, even every secret thing, whether good or evil. If you believe that God is, that he will judge, that everything that you do matters because he will judge, then you have begun to understand biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom begins there. It begins there and it continues with every thought, every action in consideration of this truth. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If that is true, that there is a God in heaven who created us, has authority over us, will judge us according to his will, then we need his help in order to live in a way that is pleasing in his sight. That's the assumption and belief of every one of God's people from the beginning of time. 
More than that, though, the people of God want to live in a way that pleases him because they love him. We do not always live in a way that pleases him, and that does evoke a response of anger or wrath towards us. When we do not live in a way that it pleases him, it's called sin. And for our sin, God has decreed judgment. And yet, because he's also merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, he's provided a way for his judgment to be satisfied. He's poured out his judgment for our sin on his son, the Lord Jesus. Paul says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. The wisdom of Jesus that he has the ability to live in a way that pleases his father was clearly demonstrated in his righteous life. He is elsewhere called Jesus Christ the righteous. And again, he's called that because he always lived to satisfy his father in heaven, to please him. For that reason, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. He became the perfect substitute for us. In the Old Testament, he was prophesied as the Messiah, the servant of God, the one who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, who would bear the chastisement that brings us peace and whose wounds we would be healed. In the New Testament, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one for whom it is said there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. He is our peace. By his blood we reconcile to God. Therefore, we love him because he gave himself up for us. He gave his righteous life unto death so that we would live. And thus, for the believer, we do not serve him merely out of fear, but much more we serve him out of love. We want to live for the one who gave himself up for us, the one who is Lord over all. Therefore, again, we need wisdom. And wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. A wisdom continues with a desire for a life, living a life that pleases Him. So we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to live a life that pleases Him. To that end, we are encouraged in Proverbs chapter 2 to seek wisdom. In fact, the chapter tells us that we must seek after wisdom as if we're seeking after a treasure of great value. In verse chapter 2, Verse 4, it says, seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. In the same way that you would seek a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or a stash of $100 bills buried in your backyard when your finances are tight, so you should seek after the wisdom of God. To seek wisdom, Proverbs 2 tells us, is to incline our hearts to it. It is to consciously ascribe value to words of wisdom as they enter into your ears so that they pass through to your heart. When you hear the wisdom of God, you must actively think of it as something that is good for you, something that you should treasure or value. It's the only way for it to actually get to your heart. Again, the heart is the seat of the intellect, emotion, and will. If it doesn't get to your heart, you're not going to do anything with it. You're not going to respond to it. To seek wisdom is to incline our hearts to it. It is to call out for it, to labor in prayer that God would grant us wisdom. Again, James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we should persistently ask, seek and knock when we need something from our Heavenly Father. To seek wisdom is to search for it like, again, hidden treasure, like silver or gold. So not just 
thinking of it as the treasure, but actively searching for wisdom, digging into the Word of God, persistently pursuing God's Word, God's truth, because you believe it to be of great value for you. And when you seek after wisdom, you will find it. You'll find it not because there's something good in you, some aspect of your character that makes you more receptive to wisdom, some measure of greatness that inclines you toward wisdom. But the reason why seeking after the wisdom of God as a treasure will lead to wisdom is because the Lord in His mercy gives wisdom to us as a gift. Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 6 of Proverbs, for the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. In fact, the text says that the God whose understanding is unsearchable, again, according to Isaiah 40, the one who Paul calls the only wise God in Romans chapter 16, verse 27, this same God, according to Proverbs 2, stores up sound wisdom. Sound wisdom acts as a shield for His people. He stores up wisdom for His people. He doesn't leave us as orphans to figure out this life on our own. He has a storehouse of wisdom available for all of his people in their time of need. Moreover, the kind of wisdom that God gives is sound wisdom. It is not wisdom that will disappoint. It is not wisdom that will fail to do what it was designed for. It is the wisdom of God and it will accomplish its purpose in our lives. Again, according to chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, it will act as a shield for us. It will guard the paths of justice and watch over our way. It will help us to understand righteousness, justice, and equity in our dealings with others. Wisdom will become sweet to us. We will understand the blessing of obedience, the joy of obedience, even the, the, the joy that Jesus had when he endured the cross, according to Hebrews. We'll enjoy that kind of joy, his joy, when we walk in the wisdom of God. That leads us to the next main point in our text, not only... Should we seek wisdom as a treasure because the Lord gives wisdom as a gift to his people? But we should also seek wisdom as a treasure because the Lord gives wisdom as a guard for his people. According to verse 11, which we covered last week, the wisdom of God will watch over us. It will serve as a guard for us to deliver us from the evil way. And starting in verse 12, verses 12 through 19, Solomon is going to go a bit into a bit more detail as to how wisdom is going to guard us from the evil way. So I'll read for us again verses 12 through 19. <coughs> Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. The wisdom of God will guard you from the evil path. We see the repeated idea of deliverance in both verses 12 and verse 16. There are two different kinds of evil mentioned here. 
This is not meant to be an exhaustive list of all the kinds of evil that we face in this world, but it is instructive to us as to the two major concerns that Solomon had for his son. Again, Solomon is writing this primarily as uh, an instruction to his son, but he had these two major concerns for his son, and they're also concerns that are relevant for us today. The first thing that wisdom guards us from is men of perverted speech again look at verse 12 again delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech Solomon is warning his son to be careful of certain kinds of men those who will lead them in the way of evil he says you'll know them by their speech their speech is perverted to pervert something is to twist it it is essentially to use it in a way that it was not originally intended The speech of the wicked in Proverbs 2 is perverted, but it is perverted ultimately because of what's in their hearts. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I've mentioned this before as well, but James 3 makes clear that there are two different kinds of wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes from above and a wisdom that comes from below. We all speak from the heart. The wicked, the unbelieving, speaks out of a heart that is hard, a heart that is full of what is evil in the sight of God. The believer speaks from a heart that has been changed by God, a heart that is no longer prone to evil. Though we do still err, we do still at times sin, the disposition of our hearts has changed. God has given us a new heart. But we do still need wisdom, and we need wisdom in particular in order to serve as a guard against those whose hearts are evil so that we don't follow them. Well, what is in the hearts of the wicked? Look at verse 13. They forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of evil. They're they're on the evil path. They are the kind of people who know the path of uprightness. They know the way of the Lord. Perhaps these are churched people. They've been around the church all their life. Perhaps they're still members of a church. They may even know their Bible well enough to quote some passages of the scripture. But the kind of evil that they give is not, that they speak is not wisdom from above, but it is the world's wisdom. These are the kinds of people who have forsaken the paths of uprightness and are now walking in the way of darkness. And I want to make clear that these are not genuine believers that he's talking about. I love the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 when he states rather rather plainly in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of our out of my hand. Our salvation true biblical salvation what it means to be born again is to know jesus as your savior yes it is to confess jesus as your savior it is to be a part of the body of christ yes but the essence of our salvation is not dependent on us the essence of our salvation the composition of our salvation the foundation of our salvation is rooted in the person of christ he is the one who saves us He gives eternal life to us. He keeps us from perishing. He holds us in his almighty hand. That's where he says, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. In other words, if you're saved, according to the words of Jesus, you're saved by him. You're kept by him. You can never not be kept by him. Because the kind of hold that he has on us is an eternal hold. That's why we call it eternal life. 
And he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. When he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, you know who that includes? That includes the person who he's holding. So we can't snatch ourselves out of the hand of Jesus. And no one external to us can snatch us out of the hands of Jesus. And Paul says in Romans that there's not even any other created thing that can snatch us out of the hands of Jesus. So back in the Proverbs, when we read of those who forsake the paths of the uprightness, when we hear of some Christian leader or perhaps a family member or friend who walked away from the faith, so to speak, and we scratch our heads and we wonder how it happened, what did it, what caused it, more significantly, we wonder in our minds, in our heart of hearts, even if we don't verbalize it, can this happen to me? The answer is, that if you're truly saved in a biblical sense, in a sense that Jesus is your savior, no, it can never happen to you. You can never lose your salvation. You're not the one who found it to begin with. You're not the one who provides it. You're not the one who's holding you. Jesus holds you. If you can imagine any created thing or anything outside of creation, I mean, that's not even possible. There's nothing outside of creation other than God. If you can imagine any created thing greater than Jesus, then perhaps you could lose your salvation. But the word of God is clear that there is nothing apart from him. There is no one and no thing that could ever take you out of his hands. So, again, we have to assume that those who fall away from the faith never truly had faith to begin with. Perhaps they walked for a time or at least it appeared that they did. They talked the talk for a time or at least it appeared that they did. But there was never truly saving faith. John says it this way in first John chapter two. They went out from us. Because they were not really of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. That's God's word. That's not me. Nevertheless, Solomon is warning us here that those who appear to be of the faith, those who profess the faith with their lips but not with their deeds, are not truly believing to begin with. And we need to be warned against them. We need to be wary of those kinds of people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Those who would lead you away from the faith are not going to come to you in a hat that says God is dead. Don't trust him. Walk the evil path. The person who's going to lead you astray is not one who you will see coming. The person who will lead you astray will appear to be walking in the way of the faith. They will appear to love God, or at least at some point in the past they did. They will appear to have that in common with you, but by their words and their deeds, they will prove that they have forsaken the path of good and they are on the path of evil. You cannot assume that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is on the right path. Jesus even comments on that and he says that some of those people he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. Not because you lost your salvation somehow, but because I never knew you. True faith is a professed faith, yes, but it is also a proven faith. Well, the ones that Solomon is warning his son against have a perverted speech. They're on the path that is evil. They're also pleased with perversity. Not only do they deny the faith with their deeds, they forsake the right path, but they also delight in it. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 14, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. They rejoice in it. It's their passion. They champion the evil. They champion what is perverse. And we could go any number of places with this. Consider any number of ideologies and philosophies that the world champions today. 
The world around us is convinced and wants to convince you that gender doesn't matter. Gender's not linked with biological sex and it doesn't need to be. That you can decide to be whatever gender you want. In fact, you should allow your four-year-old, who has to be told that playing with scissors is unwise, you should allow your four-year-old to figure out their own gender. And as they figure out, you should celebrate it, you should champion it, and anything less is criminal. The world around us is convinced that you should marry whoever you want, and it doesn't really matter. Taking to its logical end, a society in which a significant portion of the population is represented in movies and television, a significant portion of the population is homosexual and can still expect for the population to flourish, is completely nonsensical. Everyone can't go in that direction. But they celebrate it. And they want us to celebrate it as well. The world around us is convinced that conception doesn't matter. That a person isn't a person unless specifically the woman deems them important enough to give birth. That the design of God for women and men, the will of God that we be fruitful and multiply doesn't matter. But rather, it matters that women are free to indiscriminately have sex with no consequences. That's the most important thing. The murder of the unborn is health care for women. That is championed, that is celebrated, and they want you to champion it and celebrate it too. This is the wisdom of the world. This is the way of evil. The way of those with perverted speech, speech that twists and distorts the truth, even to the degree that according to Proverbs 2.14, again, they rejoice in doing evil and delight in its perverseness. We need to not only know what is false or what is evil and what is perverted, but we also need to be careful not to be led astray by them. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 that we must see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to, the, to Christ. Again, it's not just enough to know that there are these false ideologies, these perverted and twisted distortions of truth out there that people are professing and encouraging you to profess and to celebrate it's not enough just to know it you have to be wary of it so that you don't get influenced by it i read jude earlier remember jude said but you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus christ They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy face and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You'll know them by their speech. You'll know them by their deeds. They'll cause divisions among the people of God because the people of God are going to be tempted to go astray. Because of all of the scoffing and all of their ungodliness. But you need to be careful. You need to make sure you're not led astray by them. And part of the way you do that is by continuing to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. For that we need wisdom. Again, the Lord gives wisdom as a guard to deliver us from the way of evil men. They have perverted speech. They walk the path that is evil. They are pleased with perversity. But he also gives you wisdom to deliver you from the evil woman, as he says here. 
verses 16 through 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. If the previous section was uh, intended uh, to, to help us to understand that we're being guarded by the wisdom of God against evil ideology. This is this this next part is us being guarded by the wisdom of God against evil passions, evil desires. Again, we see the repeated refrain of deliverance in this section. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Now, why is Solomon painting women in such a poor light here? Is he suggesting that all women are adulteresses? Certainly not. Remember that Solomon is writing to his son. He is assuming that his son will go on, go in the way of all youth and eventually become interested in the opposite sex and will eventually desire to marry. Solomon's desire here is to encourage his son to exercise wisdom in his choice of women because it'll have very real and significant consequences for his life. And certainly Solomon has a high view of women, even in the context of Proverbs. Often when he speaks about wisdom, he personifies wisdom in feminine terms. Even in chapter 1, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street in the market. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy street. She cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks. He's not referring to women in our chapter because he has a poor view of women. We also see chapter 31, the pursuit of the virtuous woman. That wasn't written by Solomon per se. Some people think that maybe it was and he's just using a pseudonym but regardless the the idea in the proverbs as a whole is not that there's something wrong with women but again proverbs is writing to his son and he's trying to encourage his son to think wisely about the opposite sex and he's trying to encourage him to stay away from this kind of woman not all women in general but this kind of woman she is forbidden the wisdom of God is given to deliver from the forbidden woman. That's what the text says. And the word translated forbidden in the ESV has the root idea of that which is strange or foreign. It is often used with reference to a prostitute, a woman who sells her body for money. In this case, as it is poetry, the second part of the poetic line indicates that this is not merely a prostitute in a traditional sense, but this woman is actually married. He says, so you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman from the adulteress. She's forbidden because she belongs to someone else. The reason why adultery is so heinous and objectively wrong is, of course, because God forbids it, but also because, according to 1 Corinthians 7, in the eyes of God, when a man and woman marry, their bodies no longer belong to themselves, but rather they belong to their spouse. And this woman is trying to circumvent that. Our bodies ultimately belong to God, right? We're bought with a price, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, but husbands and wives give their bodies, give ownership of their bodies to their spouses. And she is disregarding that. She is forbidden and she seeks to flatter. The wisdom of God is intended to guard the believer against, against this kind of woman. Look at verse 16. You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. She belongs to another, and by her smooth words, she offers herself to someone else. There's danger in those who with smooth words seek to convince you to participate in evil. These are flattering words, enticing words, words that promise pleasure, promise reward, promise good things. Solomon understands that youth in particular, but certainly all of us, need to be wary of this. 
These are words like everyone else is doing it. Why don't you? These are words like if it feels good, it can't be bad, right? These are words like I love you. Why won't you do this with me? It happens time and time again, especially to those who are young, but certainly, again, not limited to them. The first time those kinds of flattering words are spoken, those words full of emotion, full of desire, the first time someone calls you beautiful or handsome, apart from your immediate family, your heart falls all to pieces. You drink it in as if from a fountain, and you begin to feel beholden to that person to do whatever they ask. There is danger there. And Solomon is trying to warn his son against that danger. He says in Song of Solomon, do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. I think the principle is sound. You need to be careful not to allow your heart passions and your physical passions to be aroused before it is time, before it's appropriate, or you will find yourself in danger. And that often starts with flattering words, enticing words, where again, words that promise pleasure, promise reward. Words that even promise fidelity, even though it is not fidelity to God. She also forsakes and forgets. Look at verse 17. She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the companion, the covenant of her God. The adulteress, the unfaithful, forgets the companion of her youth, the one who she promised to be with, to walk with, to dwell with. Again, the one who she's given ownership of her body to, she committed to him, but she's forsaken him. And listen, I'm just going to throw this out there for free. If someone is enticing you to be in a relationship with them, and they're in a relationship already, maybe they say they fell out of love or they just love you so much or whatever it is. If they're in a relationship with someone but they're trying to get in a relationship with you, what do you think is going to be different? If they're willing to be unfaithful now, how is it going to be different just because they're with you? Moving on, not only is she unfaithful to the companion of her youth, but ultimately she's not faithful to the covenant of her God. This is a reminder that marriage is a covenant, not just between two people, but much more between those two people before God. And in principle, even if you are unmarried, the reason why you shouldn't pursue a physical relationship with someone who is not your spouse is because of your covenant with God, because you belong to him, because to do so would be to dishonor him. You are his. You belong to him. Until you've made a commitment of yourself to your spouse. The wisdom of God is to guard you from the evil woman, from that kind of person, from the kind of person who is forbidden to you, who flatters with their words to entice you to evil, who forsakes and forgets to be faithful both to God and man. It'll guard you from the kind of person for whom you will have, they will lead you to a disastrous future. Look at verses 18 and 19. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. One of the repeated principles in the Proverbs is that the wise always consider the end. Again, that is what it means to fear the Lord. It is to know that your decisions and actions will have consequences, whereas the fool never considers the end. The fool lives in the moment. The fool lives for immediate pleasure. The fool acts with no thought to where their actions will lead them. Here Solomon pulls back the curtain. He gives his son a sneak peek a sneak peek into what will happen if he goes down that road, if he pursues that kind of woman. Look again at the text. Death, the paths of the departed. You'll go to a place where none come back, where you will not regain the paths of life. It will lead to a disastrous future, one from which you will not be able to return. This may mean physical death, a simple fact that he's engaging in a relationship with a married woman, 
And it's an easy way to encourage the wrath of the woman's husband. It may mean that pursuing that kind of woman will put you on a path that eventually will carry you away. Someone once said that sin always takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you're willing to pay, and keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin always wants more. More risk, more pleasure, more things twisted, more perversion. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about those whose God is their appetite. What their flesh craves is their God, so they go about it with abandon. They serve their appetites. If you start down that road, pursuing someone for whom this is true, it will naturally also start to be true of you. It'll influence you. And the point is that there are some consequences of foolish decisions that you simply cannot come back from and for which your life will never be the same. Solomon himself is a clear example of this. He began his reign as a king of Israel, as a wisest man who walked the face of the earth. At some point, probably early on, he wrote these Proverbs. And he ended up writing nearly 1,000 or so Proverbs in total, including the ones we're reading now. He knew wisdom, he explored wisdom, but he also did precisely what he was encouraging his son not to do in Proverbs chapter 2. He went after the forbidden woman. In fact, he went after many forbidden women. 1 Kings chapter 11. Now Solomon, King Solomon, loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord said to his people, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love, is what the text said. He had 700 wives who were princes, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was his father David. So we read the Lord's judgment after that. If it could happen to one of the wisest men who walked to the face of the earth, how much more should we be diligent to pursue wisdom so that we may guard our hearts against it? I slipped down a basement stairs outside my house the other day on some ice. I realized almost immediately the foolishness of my ways. And I say that not just because I slipped on the ice, but because I was also, as I was walking down the stairs, I saw the ice and I thought to myself, someone's going to slip on this, but not me. That's what I thought. Because I've walked on ice before. I've walked on ice that I've cautioned other people not to walk on. I've learned how to walk on ice in such a way that you're less likely to slip. And I don't think I've slipped on ice in a long time. You see, the foolishness of my way was assuming that it wouldn't be a problem for me. Assuming that life would continue on, that my ability to walk on ice as I previously had simply would continue this time. Thinking that I didn't need to take any more care than I usually do because, of course, I could handle it. But I couldn't. The thing is that we all have that kind of blind spot. We will all at some point in our lives assume that we can handle it. We can handle being exposed to the ideologies and philosophies of the world communicated through various forms of media, certain movies we watch, stories we read, podcasts we listen to. Because we always have. We can handle it. 
we can handle being exposed to the world's form of sexuality, to almost the almost pornographic nature of many mainstream movies and television shows. And let's not even begin to talk about the amount of trash that's on the Internet, but we can handle it. That friend you know who has a different morality than you, who encourages you with flattering words to join them, but they're your friend and you don't want to leave them and you don't want to leave them friendless and you can handle their coaxing. You won't give in. You can handle it. You see, we can all handle it until we can't. And the reality is that it only takes one time to fall, one time to slip and to have the kind of consequences that Proverbs 2 is talking about, the kind of consequences from which you cannot come back and that you cannot reverse. As I said earlier, this is not an exhaustive list of the evils that we face today, but there are two kinds, these are two of the main ways that Solomon sought to encourage his son to beware of the evil path and of our need for wisdom to guard against it. By way of application, we should certainly be speaking to the next generation about the ideologies that exist in the world today. We should talk to them openly and freely about these things as they'll face these dangers, whether we want them to or not. As early as preschool and elementary school, public school curriculums across the U.S. are being redesigned in order to normalize some of the different ideologies of the world today. We need to speak openly and authoritatively from the word of God in order to communicate wisdom to the next generation and for all of God's people to be able to guard against those things. Additionally, we should be speaking to the next generation about the opposite sex, about relationships, and about love. It's not bad to talk about those things. It shouldn't be embarrassing to discuss love, relationships, or even sex in the church. God has provided these things for us. He has a plan for humanity to thrive in it, to be blessed by it when we follow his pattern. We must see this as our responsibility to educate the next generation and the church as a whole in these matters, not shying away from them, because the world doesn't shy away from them. And if we don't talk about it and help them to understand the truth of God as it relates to these things, the world will. There's a characterization of Christianity that it's all about the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. I think I've shared this before, but there's a gospel track that I've seen before with two young men approaching what looks like a fence. The one runs toward the fence in order to jump over it and boastfully proclaims, I don't care about barriers. The other having a slightly different perspective on the fence as he can see beyond it, yells to his friend to wait, calling out, and he says, no, it's not a barrier to keep you out. It's a guardrail because he can see on the other side that there's a drop off. The young man just jumped over a guardrail that was intended to keep him safe. The don'ts in the word of God are just that. They're intended as a guard to protect. Ultimately, the Lord desires blessing for his people, not harm. And he knows that if we're left to our own devices, harm will come. And so in his wisdom, he grants us wisdom to serve as a guard to protect us from the harm of walking in the evil way. But we must pursue his wisdom. We must pursue his wisdom. We must seek it as a treasure of great worth. We must seek it from the Lord as he gives his grace to us. His wisdom to us as a gift freely and openly out of the abundance of his storehouse. He gives to those who ask. He gives wisdom as a guard for us to guard us from evil men, evil philosophies and ideologies to lead to wicked living and also from the evil woman, from those who would tempt us away from faithfulness to pursue 
pleasure in wickedness. Finally, we're to seek wisdom as a treasure, knowing that the Lord gives it to us as a guide. Verses 20 through 22. So you will walk in a way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity, integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The same wisdom that guards us from the danger of evil also guides us to good. Again, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. There are only two kinds of people in the Proverbs, two paths to walk on. To steal from a very good gospel track that we use here, there are only two ways to live. You can be one of the wicked, walk in the way of evil on the path that leads to destruction and death, or you can be among the righteous, those who ultimately are made righteous by God through Jesus Christ, those who walk in the way of the good, those who walk on the path that leads to life. And what is the result? Verse 21, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The good, the righteous, the upright, those with integrity are all words being used synonymously with those who have faith in God, those who are made right by God, those who live in a fear of God and seek his wisdom, they will inherit blessing. The land was indicative of blessing in the Old Testament. The land was promised to his people, just as heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem are promised to the people of God today. We will inherit the land. There's a greater grace to be had for those who walk by faith, those who live in the fear of the Lord, who walk in his wisdom, who seek to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. There's a greater blessing to be had, one that we have not yet experienced. The wisdom of God will lead you there. That's the point. And that is the promise that the wisdom of God will lead you there not that it might not that it's just one possible option of getting to what's good but that it is the only path for what is good and to inherit the blessing that God has likewise those who walk in the evil way those who keep to the path of evil the wicked the treacherous all refer to those who do not believe those who reject the Christ the Messiah Just as in the Old Testament, the unfaithful were kicked out of the land of promise. They were removed from it. So also those who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus today, who refuse to trust in him, who refuse to live in the fear of the Lord, who refuse his wisdom, they will be rejected from the promised land. They will be rejected from the new heavens and the new earth. They will have no part in it. That is also a promise. Some of the last words of the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the last prophetic words that God left for his people says this, Revelation chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, outside of the city are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They're outside. At that point, they won't have the ability to come in. There's not going to be any knocking. There's not going to be any doorbell. There's no possibility for mercy or for grace. Mercy and grace are available today, but then there will be none because you have the opportunity today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to take up God on his offer, 
on that day there will be none. You will be shut out. That is a promise. Which way are you going to live? Will you be in the number of those who may enter the city gates, those whose robes have been washed by the blood of the lamb, those who by faith seek to walk in the wisdom of God today? Or will you be outside the city along with the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood? Which way are you going to live? Perhaps you know that you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus and you know that you're living a life of foolishness and disobedience. Turn to Jesus today. Perhaps you do not know the Lord. You do know the Lord. Yet you also know that you're being influenced by the world, by the evil ideologies of the world, the evil passions of the world. And you know you need help. You need a guard against those things. Turn to Jesus today for wisdom. One author said this. In considering these concluding words. He said, it is not inevitable that they will drag you down to death. The wicked. He, Jesus, can rescue you from them by empowering you to walk in wisdom. It is not inevitable that they will cause you exile from God forever. Jesus came out of death to inherit the whole world, and you can be his co-heir if you are united to him by faith. If you find yourself going into evil, consistently rationalizing your sin, or being enslaved to sexual sin, then circumstances may be revealing to you that you are not listening to the voice of wisdom. You have instead been seduced by the voice of another. If that's true, come to Jesus, the wisdom of God, and follow his leading voice. Listen to him. He has the words that lead to life. Come to Jesus. I'll remind you again of the words of Jesus, the wisdom of God that he said concerning to those, concerning those who come to him by faith, as he is a good shepherd, he says again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Come to Jesus, the wisdom of God today. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is true. Your word, which sanctifies us. We thank you for the reminder that we need your wisdom. We desperately need your wisdom. You have provided your wisdom. You do daily provide your wisdom. You freely provide your wisdom in order to guard us from the evil path. And there's so much evil in the world today. And there are so many who would lead your people astray to walk in the evil way. But in your grace, you provide us with your wisdom to keep us from the evil path and to put us on the path that is good. Lord Jesus, we need your wisdom. We pray that you would pour out your wisdom from your storehouse on your people today. We pray that for your glory and for our collective good. In Christ's name, amen.